Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Thank you. It's always interesting to see the different dynamics between first service and second service. I actually got a few first service. Happy Valentine's Day. And everybody else is like, oh. Pastor just reminded us, you know. Hey, here's the bright spot. You don't have to wait for a coworker to remind you, and then you're trying to rush home between five and dinner reservations to get the flowers. You got a little extra time today, hopefully. Uh, or maybe you just already, you know, sprung the flowers this morning, and that's great. Um, awesome. We love flowers. It, it, here's the thing I, I hate. I didn't even say this earlier. I hate about Valentine's Day being on Sunday is because I feel like I have to, like, we celebrated like Thursday night, but then it's like Saturday morning. I'm like, I probably should like go get breakfast. So I like ordered Chick-fil-A delivery, you know, did the real Christian thing because uh, they're not open on Sundays. You know, that's a Valentine's Day tradition. But then today's Valentine's Day. So I'm like, well, do I have to like do something again? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's tension, you know. I, let's just be real about it. It's, Anyways, it's great. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. If this is your first time here, maybe it's been a long time. My name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is our pleasure to host you today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, we'd love to get a chance after service in our lobby uh, or stop by one of our connection, either the connection tent or connection table. We got a free gift for you. We'd love just to say hello and help you get connected. We don't want to bug you, stalk you, chase you down in the parking lot. We won't do all those things. We actually send you some Chick-fil-A in the mail if you actually fill out a connection card. So for all of you who have been in here for about a year and a half and you haven't filled out a connection card, today's a good day to do it. So it's great. <laughs> it's great. Anyways, last week was Vision Sunday amidst the snowmageddon of Greenville, South Carolina, of where we had people show up. You know, if you come to 11 o'clock, you, you were safe because we didn't touch the 11 o'clock, but we canceled the nine o'clock last week. Uh, because some of our staff lives like in the TR area and they actually got snow. Uh, and so we we're trying to like, hey, probably getting out at six o'clock in the morning to come to church on icy mountain roads is probably not the smartest. So let's just wait until it melts, you know, let's do the 11. But we had people show up last week at the nine o'clock service. They didn't get word. So here's my plug. If you did not get word that nine o'clock was canceled, um, here's a few things that it tells on you. Uh, number one, you may not check your email because we emailed out on Saturday night, which is fine. It's the weekend. Don't, don't check that stuff. Uh, you, you weren't connected to us on, on Facebook or Instagram, or you didn't look at that stuff, which is like 0.1% of the population. Uh, and then also our first means of notification is through our app. So if you haven't downloaded our app, we only send push notifications when they matter. Uh, so I hate the little red dots on your phone that like light up. Uh, if, you, if you have an iPhone, you, you feel the pain. Uh, some of you either embrace it. Now, here's the only place that's not this off limits in my email. I think I have like 16,000 emails unread. Uh, just every now and again, I'm like, read all. <laughs> if they need me, they'll find me. Um, but we're not trying to blow your phone up, but we do send communication. So we sent out an app notification last Saturday night at nine o'clock. Uh, notifying that service was canceled. So uh, if you need some guidance on how to enable app notifications, uh, we would love to help you. And uh, we'll even help you download the app and all that good stuff. Why? Because it, it's hard. You know, Greenville, nobody, no, being a weatherman is a great job in Greenville because you just like throw darts at dartboard and it's like, you know, 
probably create a mild panic. Somebody, somebody's going to think I'm right, and it's going to be great. Uh, and so anyways, just for those things, it's, it's always awesome uh, to, to be able to connect with you. Now, last Sunday, if you missed, uh, and why I got on that rabbit trail for a few minutes, uh, was Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is one of our favorite Sundays here all year because of this reason, because we actually believe that the Lord's speaking to us and he's leading us and guiding us. And this is our opportunity. Uh, Brittany and I sat up on the stage and we just unpack our heart, things that God has been speaking and dealing with us. And our theme this year, if you notice it, you had to notice it coming in, uh, is for the one. And so you'll notice some names that are written out there. And this comes from uh, Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells these three parables about the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And so uh, we are believing that this year our vision and our mission is for the one. We are going to go after the lost one. And so you may say, well, pastor, isn't that what all churches do? Uh, can I just tell you, I, I've been a believer and a Christ follower for a long time. And every now and again, I need a good uh, kick in my rear to remind me that it's not just about us gathering and doing service. It, we have a mission. And so God has really been wrestling with our heart. And here's the cool part is when Vision Sunday happens, it's our prayer that it's not our vision, but it's our vision that our church body will embrace. And we've already begun to hear stories and I can even tell you, even some personal, sending some text messages this week, just checking on people. Just checking on people. Guys, this doesn't have to be a weird thing. Just check on people. And let God do what God does best. And the conversations that have happened and the prayer moments that have happened already this week. And so you'll notice there's some names that are written out there. Don't go looking for your name and see, oh, did somebody put my name out there? Uh, it's probably somebody else wrote it and you just share the same name. But let me, let me tell you this. We have had some people who are like, well, I, I, I don't want to put you know, my, my daughter's name up there, my sister's name, because if they come to church with me, I don't want it to be a weird moment. Well, it's only weird until they meet Jesus, and then it's not weird anymore, and they can go and they can cross out their name and put the date. That's what I'm praying and believing for this year. But we want to be sensitive. You don't have to put their name. Put sister, put daughter, put mom, put dad. Whatever you need to do to take a step of faith and believe that that lost one is coming home this year. And so we're just believing that. So we're going to take the next few weeks. We talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep last week. And we're going to take the next few weeks and just kind of unpack the, 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 the prodigal son, the, lo the, the lost son. And, uh, and so uh, today, because it's Valentine's, I just felt that we would, we would kind of start with some of the relational dynamics that we find in this parable. Uh, and so I'll say this. If you're married, we're going to have some practical married stuff for you to... But all of us are in relationship with someone. And all of these principles we're going to dive into today are applicable to every relationship we carry. And so, uh, but I just, it's Valentine's Day and I wanted to have some fun. So we, we, uh, we stole this video from a, a great church that, that aired it at their uh, marriage conference this past year. And so uh, just take a few moments and let's laugh together. We're 22 years into marriage. Ooh. You guys are 31, 31, 31. <laughs> Things change the longer you're married. And so we're going to talk about some of that today. Yeah. a little thing we like to call love handles. Oh, man, love handles. What, what exactly is a love handle? A love handle is just a, it's just a, it's a little handle. So you just kind of, mm, little, 
I think that explains itself. It's time to get started. Love handle. Why don't we look at uh, social media first? Love handles. You know why? You know why so many people are getting married in barns? Oh man, the mason jars. They don't have any money for a venue because they spend it all on photo shoots. Baby spread flowers. Why are you wearing suspenders? You've never yeah, worn yeah. suspenders another day in your and life. And we've we've re, we've repurposed a palette. <laughs> we've repurposed a palette. We've got a palette now with a, with our names hanging on it, and there's a phrase on burlap, and there's some monogram that's on the side of a pork skin, and I, now I would enjoy that because brother like a pork skin. I got one. It's the laughing pictures. How do you do a laughing picture? I, I never do that at my house. I'm never walking around my kids just, and then the walking backwards. Oh, that's true. I mean, really? I'd never walk backwards and turn around and, and it. Just our hands. <laughs> just, just our hands. I mean, what? Nobody's posting on their Instagram that, hey, for date night, we went to Target again. <laughs> we were mad at each other the entire time that somebody said, hey, let's post this. And we went. <laughs> uh, you, you know, one of the things is, is some of the announcing of, uh, uh, like, homecoming. And now there's got to be a poster that rhymes. Will you go to homecoming dance? Months in because advance. Because there's, Creative and then meetings. I've given you ants so that you can wear cool pants and that there'll be a lot of... Romance. Ro no, 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 no. We shutting that down. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. The trend, the gender reveal. God. These are amazing. Look, that, oh, she's gonna kill herself. Oh, oh, oh you can, oh. you can. He looks like he just came out of war. He just. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want a brother. I don't want a brother because oh you have painted me. She is, she is Willy Wonka. She's a smurf dealing with blueberries. That's amazing. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Look at this. Uh -huh. Oh, here we go. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Look, oh, you'll never know. Go. You never know oh, now. What if they're the just, pinata. what if they were not doing the gender reveal and they're just really forward-thinking meteorologists? That was a weather balloon. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Oh, man. You know, it's better. I, I won't name any names, but, because uh, some of you would know them, but uh, a guy, they, they live in Columbia now, but. They did a gender reveal, I think this past week or a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and, and the husband was not thrilled with the gender, and they captured the look on his face. <laughs> so somebody said, you should have added that clip this morning. I'm like, no, no, no. They're, they're friends. I like to keep it that way. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's good to laugh a little bit. It's good to have a little fun, uh, especially when we talk about relationships. Because here's the deal. If you can't learn to laugh in the relationships you're in, uh, it's going to be a miserable trek for the rest of your life. Uh, because they're just sometimes the craziness of your family, the craziness of your spouse, the craziness of, of your kids or your coworkers or whatever relationship that, that comes to mind. You've just got to learn to laugh a little bit. And so uh, any monogram pork skins that want to come my way, I'd be grateful. 
I've watched that video like seven times now, and I still laugh. So uh, if you didn't find it funny, I'm really sorry uh, about my sense of humor and what I enjoy that makes me laugh. So today we're going to have a little bit of a relational uh, relationship talk, but it, it's going to be different. We're, we're going to dig into scripture. We're going to dig into the parable uh, of, of, of the lost son in Luke 15. Now, to give you, I want to give you a little setup and context because I never want to take for granted when we talk about the parable of the prodigal son. You, you may sit there and say, I have no idea, Pastor, what you're talking about. But here's the scenario. Jesus is teaching and he's hanging out with uh, some tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders didn't like that. They, they, they frowned upon it. Because they really felt he should be, you know, taking his time to, to teach, because Jesus was a phenomenal teacher, uh, teach other religious people. And if we're not careful, and we won't camp here today, uh, if we're not careful, this, this is a big tension that can, we can even find creep into churches today. Uh, because it can be uncomfortable on both sides of the coin. And uh, in, in, in church circles, if you've ever had these moments where you're like afraid to invite your unchurched friends to go to church with you because of the weirdness of church, you know, and so we, we just we don't like these circles to to intermingle. And then when all of our unchurched friends come along, uh, church people tend to like, well, why aren't they acting like church people? And, and, and I believe that God intends for these worlds to collide so that he's glorified and, and all men and women have an opportunity to come into a saving relationship with him and the only way that happens is when these worlds collide but at the same token like it can be a little uncomfortable it can create some some tension and dynamics that we find even here in the old test or in the new testament not in the old testament in the new testament and so uh sinners and tax collectors are there jesus is telling these stories so he tells the story of uh the lost sheep tells the story of the lost coin and gets to this this story of 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 the the lost son and what it does is it really begins to reveal God's heart for the lost. And Jesus is making it very clear that I came to save the lost. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And so in this third parable, we, we get to this, this point, and I won't read all the scripture. I'll give you kind of a little, little speed up to where we'll, we'll dive into today. But you have this son that goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Now, here's the awkward moment because dad is still living. So I don't know how that would even bode in today's circle that we could walk to our parents and say, hey, pops, hey, mom, I'm ready for my inheritance. Can you just go ahead and, and just pass that on down? Uh, I think that, that there's a lot that's there uh, probably. And if you're a parent in the room, you're like, man, I would slap my kid. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would give him a healthy rebuke in a, in a Jesus name. Uh, but here, here we find this tension. He asks for it, but then not only does he ask for it, dad gives it to him. Then he goes to another country and he blows it all. Every bit of it. And then to make matters even worse, a famine strikes. So everything's beginning to tank. The economy's tanking, food ration, like all of it's just gone to, gone to pot. And so we find the, 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 the son, the younger son here, he's, in the, he's, he's feeding pigs and he is so desperate that he even wants to eat what the pigs are eating and he finds nobody that will oblige. So in that moment of desperation, he gets this grand idea that it would be better for me to go home. Even to be a servant in my dad's house would be better than where I am today. And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So what do we find? I I don't know, and I know we kind of speed read through Scripture in church on Sundays, but in this, there is so much relational gold that applies to every relationship we have. So we're going to talk about marriage a little bit, but not a whole lot, because if if you'll take these truths and realities into your marriage into the relationships with your kids, your spouse, or your, your, your parents, your, your siblings, your co-workers, your relationship with Jesus, if you will embody all of these principles in every relationship you have, there's going to be gold on the other side. There will be improvement. And the first is this. The first relational truth is this. Relationships take mutual pursuit. Relationships take mutual pursuit. Luke 15, verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. See, there had to be a moment of action for there to be restoration. The son had to decide to go home. But while he was still a long way off, his father sees him and was filled with compassion for him, and he runs to his son, embracing him. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. So for us... This would be like a normal reaction. Like, like we can understand this moment if one of your kids, if you're a parent in the room and your kids have been off, like they've been away. I mean, I, I, I've had some, a, a few trips that I've had to take to be away from my boys. The moment I come home, like I am running to embrace my boys. Like there's just something inside of us. That's a natural response. Like we, we I, I love watching those those military uh, reuniting videos, and if that's never tapped into your emotional feels, like you're not alive, okay? But you you watch these, and what happens? Like the garage door opens, and 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 the soldier walks in, and the family realizes, and they are just is full speed, but it almost feels slow motion at the same time. They run, they embrace, and there's just this overwhelming emotion of being reunited. We can look at the story and picture that this is what's happening. But when Jesus is telling this parable, there's more to it than this because this was not culturally acceptable during their time. This would not have been the, the appropriate reaction for the father. There actually would, this, this actually would have been the response of the mother. And all you're like, yeah, that makes more sense. you know. But the father would not have done this behavior. This, this is a pursuit of the father to the son. And there's more, and, and, I, and I can't get lost in this right now, but there, there is something that Jesus is teaching us in this moment that we find in Scripture from the first page of the Bible all the way to the last page of the Bible, and that the father is in pursuit of us. But here's where we can't fool ourselves into God's pursuit of us And us just, will God come get me? Because here's the thing about God's love. God loved us enough to give us a choice. 
that takes mutual pursuit. God pursues us. We must, in turn, pursue him. This truth is, is, is for every relationship we hold. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our relationship with our spouse. Our relationship with our friends. How many of you know you question your friendships if you're always the one that's calling the friend to hang out? I just made you feel real uncomfortable about a few of your relationships right now. You're like, wait a second. It gets old. I'm not saying that that's not a real friendship. I mean, some of you are extroverts and some of you are introverts. Some of you would rather just hide in your house all, all week long, you know? You're like, I like people. I just don't like seeing them or being around them, you know? <laughs> and others are like, oh, it's Monday. We've got to go out. It's Monday and tomorrow's Tuesday and we've got to have lunch plans and breakfast plans and in-between plans and afternoon plans and, and we've just got, we've got to go, 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 go. And that's okay. You can marry those. Like, those relationships can work. But at some point, we begin to question, is this really a relationship if it's all one-sided? Because there takes mutual pursuit. Now, Brittany and I are high school sweethearts, and she pursued me hard. <laughs> We're going to talk about marriage for a moment, because here's what happens. <laughs> and I kid, if you didn't figure that out by now. I, I knew. I make good investments. It's, it's great. I, I learned a thing or two over the years, you know. Struck gold. And, uh, but here's what happens. We're high school sweethearts. So there was a time where I noticed, oh, she, she, she's pretty. Oh, oh she, she's smart. Like, that's, she's checking all the She loves Jesus. Wow. And what happens? We begin pursuit. You know, it, it started as one, it ended up, you know, it, there's got to be mutual because if I'm, if I'm just chasing her for the past, I don't know, we've, that was 2002. We're almost going on 20 years of dating. Uh, that's, that's incredible. That's wow. I just need to pause for a moment. Uh, <laughs> But here's the deal. If I've been pursuing her for the past 20 years and, she, and it's not mutual, I'm stalking her, okay? <laughs> That's not good either. <laughs> There's got to be mutual pursuit. But here's what happens. We pursue the people we're interested in when we're dating, you know, or, or even before dating because we wanted to, get, to go on a date with us. And then, and then when we're dating, we're like, oh, <laughs> they're great. We, we, we should do this more often. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, I may would want to spend the rest of my life with this person. So I continue to pursue. And then all of a sudden we get engaged and we're not pursuing each other. We're pursuing the wedding day. We're like, how fast can this come? Let's get this thing over with so we don't spend any more money, you know? And, but, but all of a sudden, as we progress in our relationship, it can begin to get clouded a little bit. Then you get married and you're pursuing kids and you're pursuing your professional career and you're pursuing sports for kids and activities for kids. And here's what happens a lot of times in marriages that go bad and go south is they've stopped pursuing each other. Well, tell me one relationship that works in your life where there's not mutual pursuit. I can't find one. Now, here's the thing. My relationship with Jesus, there's grace to catch me when, when I, I find myself in these weak moments. But my relationship with Jesus isn't working on all cylinders if I'm not pursuing him. 
My relationship with my spouse is not, is, is not flowing on all cylinders if I'm not pursuing her. If there's not some mutual pursuit here. Because we need that in every relationship we have. Whether it's friends, whether it's marriage, whether it's our relationship with Jesus. But in marriage, there's even more. Like, we have to pursue our spouse, but we also have to pursue God for our relationship and for ourselves together. There's a pursuit that you need. We need to pursue purity in our house and in our relationship. We need to pursue growth in our relationship together. These things are, if they're not present, if you're not, if you're not putting a fence around your marriage to say we're going to live a pure marriage, we're, we're going to live a, a marriage where we're growing in our faith with Jesus, it's going to get difficult. It's going to get rocky. Why? Because these are some foundations that we've got to pursue. Date your spouse. Pursue your spouse. I'm going to keep saying that over and over. If you don't have plans for, for tonight or you haven't, like, just cook dinner. It doesn't have to be. I get. I get. It can be real expensive to get kids. Give them some nighttime gummies. Send them to bed and do an 8 o'clock dinner. I mean, do what you got to do. Hey. We keep, we, we keep a few bottles of those around. great. I've tasted it. It doesn't do any harm. I mean, they're just out in like five minutes. It's good. <laughs> I didn't say that last service. That's not in my notes. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> She's like dying. The second truth we find here is, is, is this, is that relationships should be based on grace. Relationships should be based on grace. Grace is this, it's treating people better than they deserve. Aren't you grateful for grace? We find this in, 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 in the next couple of verses here in 21 and 22. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Can we just pause here? We don't need to refute that this isn't a truthful statement. This is very true. The son took all of his inheritance that basically said, I want what you have, but I don't want relationship with you. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to blow it all. He does not deserve to come back into the fold and the family and, 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 and be reunited. His action, he's absolutely right. He sinned against you. He sinned against heaven. There's some friction and some fracture that's taking place here. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This moment is huge. This moment is huge because I, I touched for a moment that the father shouldn't have gotten off the porch based on, on, on customs during that time. But, but here's part of what would have taken place. If this would have happened, the son asks for the inheritance and leaves and goes off and comes home. It would not have been the father that ran to greet him. It would have been the townspeople. The village would have actually run out to meet the child that came home. They would have circled around them. There's this pot, and I, I yeah, I'm probably butchering this, but I'm, I'm trying to condense it. But there would have been this pot, and they like crash. And basically, whatever, whatever they say, it is essentially saying you are cut off from this community and this family. Your action, it, it is a moment of shame and rejection. So you know why we say relationships should be grounded? They should be founded on grace 
is because the father that we see in this moment, he runs out to meet his son. I can't help but when I'm doing my study and I'm and I, all of a sudden my eyes are beginning to open to see this parable differently than I've seen it my entire life because the father is running to embrace the son, not just for mutual pursuit, but to save him from the shame and the rejection of which his actions should bring. If you can't see the picture of Jesus and what he's done for our lives. Church, we can read these parables. We can hear these parables. If you're a church kid, you've heard it your entire life. And we can miss these moments because there was so much impact. Now, the people that were there, they would have understood what Jesus was saying. They would have left saying, there is no way that someone can love me this much. But Jesus, he didn't miss a word. This wasn't by accident, he told us. He didn't get the characters mixed up here. He knew exactly what he needed to speak so that people could understand God's pursuit of us and the depths of God's grace. You see, grace, grace actually gives us a few things. Grace, first off, gives us the power to be sinned against, to endure being sinned against. See, grace in this moment the Father, if we, if we move from this image of the Father being, being God and being Jesus and pursuing it, and just in an earthly realm, we would see that the Father needed grace to be able to endure that. There's a lot of us in the room, if we think about, just think about everything you have in your possession, and you cut it in half and you handed it to your kids, and they went out and they just blew it, and then came home and said, hey, I'm back. Most of us would not want to find the nicest ring, the robe, the sandals, the fatty cat. We're not, that's not our natural reaction. Because our natural reaction wants to make sure that we've proved a point of what you did was foolish. It, 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 was, it was not wise. It was evil. You've squandered, you selfish little, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to tell your child in that moment. Most of us would want to lead it from a place of correction and teaching versus a place of embrace and grace. But see, God's grace gives us the power to actually endure when somebody does wrong to us. Whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a parent, God's grace gives us the power to endure being sinned against. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 35 and 36, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is a hard pill for us to swallow. But if Jesus is commanding this of the people that we like the least in our life, how much more grace should we show to those that we actually care about? The depths of our grace with our kids, with our, with our family, with our spouse should be a lot deeper than us ruffling feathers. It's no longer about who's right or wrong. Can you exhibit grace in your relationships? But see, here's the thing about grace. Grace is not just the power to return good for evil. It's also the power to do less evil. Grace actually not only gives us the power to endure being sinned against, it actually also gives us the power to sin less. 
Grace, grace is this thing that we do not understand because we don't deserve it. If we deserved it, then we could probably process a little better. But we don't understand. So when grace is given to us, you know what our response begins to be if we truly comprehend that we're being exhibited grace? Is change begins to follow grace. Because when we begin to recognize that Jesus sacrificed his life for us in the midst of our sin, knowing that we would continue to struggle and wrestle with sin for the rest of our life till we step from this side of eternity to the other, it would be a battle, but he still gave it all for us. When we really begin to embody and process that, it should lead us to live a different life. Because when we haven't embraced grace, when we don't comprehend and process grace, then we are squandering and we're abusing the sacrifice that he made. In the same way in our relationships, I can speak to the guys in the room. If you're married, guys, we do stupid stuff sometimes. I guess it's just me and my dad. That's good. (laughs) We do stupid stuff sometimes. But here's what happens. When our spouse, when, it, when Brittany loves me in, in spite of my stupidity, it calls me to be a better man and a better husband. Because I don't want to abuse what she's so freely given to me. Grace should motivate us to sin less. When we truly understand and we grab hold of grace, we all need to change. And grace can help begin that process. You want your spouse to change? They probably do need to change. We all need to change. Why? Because on this life, until, until we are perfected on the other side of eternity, we're just still trying to become the best image of Christ that we can. And so you know what? I need a lot of grace, and I need a lot of grace for all the years that God has me on this earth. But grace can help me to transform and change. And if you're married to somebody and you're like, Pastor, my, my spouse needs to change a lot. <laughs> Start to pray for it. Start to pray together. What would, what would take place if you actually did something about it? Show grace. Show forgiveness. Show patience. Why? Because that is a lot better than nagging and putting your list of all the things that you want them to do better. All right? I, I'm just telling you. It is a, yeah, I don't know about you, but my personality, you give me a list of everything I'm doing wrong, and I'm ready to, like, let's, let's go. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when you, 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 like, sucker punch me when you, like, love me anyways. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was dumb there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is a different response. But you know what? If I'm lacking and she sees something or, or I see something in another relationship with my, my kids or my family or friends and I begin to pray for that, God's faithful. God, God can begin to stir the wheels of change before we can ever do anything ourselves. And the third thing this, this morning as we wrap up is this, is the relationships need a harvest mentality. I struggled whether to do harvest mentality or investment mentality, but you'll understand where we're at. Galatians 6, 8 says this, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. See, we see a chemistry that is connected between words and actions and results. Actually, what is, was taking place. Every day, we are planting seeds into every relationship we have. Every single relationship. 
We're planting seeds in, in, in our relationship with, with Jesus. If we're walking in relationship, if you came into the room today and you're walking in relationship with Jesus, you're planting seeds in that relationship every single day. So you know what drives me crazy is when I hear people, and I probably shouldn't say it drives me crazy. It just bugs, it just rubs me a little bit. You know, that's probably a little too harsh saying it drives me crazy. But it bugs me sometimes when I hear people and they're like, well, I just haven't heard from the Lord. I, I, he feels so distant right now. And, and here would be my question. What seeds are you sowing into that relationship? Because oftentimes we're not sowing into the relationship, yet we still want the same result. Remember point one, it takes mutual pursuit. So if we want to hear the voice of the Lord very clearly, then that means we've got to sow into that relationship. So how do we sow? We spend time with him. I can't expect to have a healthy marriage and never invest anything into it. I can't expect my kids to be raised by, by the school system or even the church to be followers of Jesus in the way that I would desire for them to be. So you know what? At four and six, we're sowing seeds into them. The other night, we're, 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 we're reading our devotions before we're going to bed. I'm teaching my kids about peace that God gives. Do they really comprehend and understand? Probably not. But you know what? I'm sowing seeds believing that trees are going to sprout from that. Here's what I know. There are the names of children on this wall out here. And some of you probably feel frustrated because you look and you're like, but pastor, I've been sowing seeds into my kids for all these years and they're still not serving the Lord. But here's the thing, God's word never returns void. I am believing that this is gonna be a year that some of our children that are out here on this wall are getting crossed off and they're walking in relationship with Jesus that they have come home. Why? Because the, the seeds that we sow into our relationships matter. For our children, their eternity's at stake. We have an opportunity to make sure that we're cultivating and sowing the right things into their life because every day, here's, here's the crazy thing, every other relationship they have is sowing into their life as well. So we have to make the choice, are our seeds gonna be stronger and buried deeper and fertilized better and pruned better so that when it comes down to it, we know what's sprouting through their soil. Even when the enemy's trying to snuff it out, even when everything this world has to offer is gonna be thrown near the next generation, there's a reason why. I pray often for our kids and our students of this church. Why? Because I know that the battles that they're facing in their schools and they will face in their schools is so much different than what we walked in. And we're not, I'm not old. But how much, <laughs> you're like, I wouldn't know. You don't have any hair, Pastor. It's okay. <laughs> It's not getting any better. So you know what? We have to choose to sow seeds into that. I have a choice. When Brittany and I, we, we actually have healthy discussions sometimes. You may know them as arguments. But you know what? We have to make a choice. What are we sowing into our relationship? Is this sowing in that I've got to be right or she's got to be right and we're going to push the other one up against the wall up until, up until they give in because that's what, that's what I want to be right. I want to come out on top. Well, if that's the seeds I'm sowing, this relationship's never going to get where God wants it to be. Or we can sow, sow the seeds of grace, forgiveness, of understanding, of compassion, of grace, that years from now we'll look back and we'll laugh at all the stupid things we did. But we'll stand 
grateful for God's faithfulness through it all. Every relationship we have, we have to choose what are we sowing into it. See, this father, this father in Luke 15, 23 and 24, he says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I don't know if you see it, but this dad sure saw it. He knew that this son came in and all this son could think about is how he didn't deserve to be a son anymore, how he had sinned against, sinned against his father, had sinned against God, and all he knew was that was the identity that he was carrying. But the father said, no, I'm gonna sow life into you because you are coming to me as a dead man, but I'm gonna put a robe on you, I'm gonna put a ring on your finger, I'm gonna put sandals on your feet. We're not stopping there. We're gonna kill a cow. We're gonna have the biggest barbecue and celebration. We're we're gonna do this because my son has gone from death to life. See, every time we sow seeds, we have an opportunity, whether we are sowing death or we are sowing life. Whether it's our marriage, whether it's our kids, whether it's, whether it's our friendships, whether it's our relationship with Jesus, we have a choice to make. Because here's what that son needed. That son needed to be reminded that my father was pursuing me. That son needed to know that there is grace regardless of what I did. Dad didn't ask for the list of everything he had done wrong. He didn't ask for accountability of, well, son, where did you spend all your money? Those weren't the questions he asked. He said, come here, son. He wraps him up. He kisses him in this sweet moment and begins to, to clothe him as the son that he was born into the family. So you and I, God created us regardless of if we're living in another country squandering our inheritance or if we're living in the house in the right manner. God's still our father. He's been pursuing us. But this is what I know most of us, we find ourselves at the end of the dirt road. We see dad on the porch. We may even see him before he sees us. And we begin to wonder, what's dad thinking? Am I gonna get in trouble? I mean, I remember being a teenager. We don't tell our parents what we did wrong because we don't wanna get in trouble. Am I right? I mean, you've been there, you feel these moments, so we we don't really want to. And so he has worked up in himself that I'm just going to go and tell my dad, well, I don't really deserve to be a son, but could you you help me out a little bit? He He is so broken that that is his natural response. And sometimes I believe when we need to get our life right with Jesus, or maybe we've never even walked in relationship, we're standing at the end of the road and all we're thinking about is all the bad decisions we've made and how there's no way a father would love me enough to get off the porch and pursue me. But can I tell you today, you're wrong because he's been pursuing you every breath that you've taken from the moment you came into this earth. You can get excited about that. Why? Because every time somebody says, there's no way God can love me enough, the enemy begins to win. The enemy begins to get in our mind and think, oh, everything I've done, it's too far separated. But God's saying, no. I've been pursuing you. My grace is sufficient for you. And the things that I have invested and created for your life, no decision you've made before is going to nullify what I have for you. See, it's in every relationship we have. There's got to be pursuit. There's got to be grace. 
there's got to be a harvest mentality knowing that what we sow is going to reap. One of the authors I I, I was reading said this, a lot of our, our sowing is small decisions. But a thousand seeds will grow into trees that will change the environment of a forest. So sometimes I think we we minimize what we have an opportunity to do in our life. And today, at the end of the service, I want you to pursue your spouse. If you're married today, show some grace. Get rid of that list of all the things that they've done wrong and everything that's... And choose to sow life into your relationship. But most importantly, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's time to come home. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed in the room. If you just say, Pastor Josh, I, I, I'm here today. Maybe, maybe, I've, maybe I'm the, like the prodigal. I've, I've left home. Or maybe you've just you felt like you've been wandering your entire life and you've never had a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Today's an opportunity to change that. So if you're here today and you just say, Pastor Josh, I need to make that decision to ask Jesus into my life. Will you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking. Just me. Thank you. Can we pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sin, all my shame. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you. In Jesus' name.